cliffcentral.com. All right, let's get rich in here. It is time for the reality check on a Monday with Rich Mulholland. It's always nice to see him, and he's here today full of, um, of excitement and energy, as always. And I've noticed he's been posting a bunch of really exciting stuff on uh, social media lately. He's getting, he's doing more things than almost anybody on earth. How do you get so much done in a week? Huh? How does this happen? What's I, your story? I delegate. I've got an amazing, amazing, amazing assistant and a really good team that makes it look like I know what I'm doing. Well, it seems you do. You've got like work-life balance. You seem to fit your kids in. I try. You seem to have, yeah, you seem to have your shit together. Yeah, man. Huh. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. What's been happening in uh, Rich Mulholland world? Um, uh, not so much like a bunch of speaking stuff. I've been traveling like, a couple of road shows I've been on, and so that's been fun. Uh, work things. Uh, I've been working on my little social entrepreneurship business, uh, human rights, which is quite nice. So that's been, we've got some new things coming there. Then my book is now available in the shops, uh-huh. which is cool. And, uh, yesterday What's I got notified, uh, put on Kindle. It's called Legacide. Why legacy thinking is a silent killer of innovation. The idea is that innovation, people think innovation is about doing something new, but innovation is actually about stopping doing something old. Huh. That's the premise. Yeah. Sounds, and you said yesterday you got into a fight? No, yesterday I got uh, put on the Kindle store for the first time. <laughs> so that was pretty oh. cool as well. And your, um, your YouTube channel is great. I'm loving those videos. Thanks, man. I just uploaded the, while I was sitting outside waiting, I've just uploaded the next one. So that, that'll go live in about Very 10 good. minutes. Okay. Right, uh, as soon as I finish here, I'm going to go and hit publish. All right. Now. Um, every Monday you come in here and uh, we get something off, off our chests. Yeah. So the first thing I want to call you guys out. Okay. All right. I, I could actually not think about what Shit, I wanted to do. You've had a good run. Yeah. Listen, Finally, okay. let me us. start with you, <laughs> Tupac man. Okay. You're confusing correlation and causation, but it was a beautiful Will Smith story. I loved it. Okay. The next thing is this. You guys can, I mean, honestly, I sometimes think that I don't have to prepare anything. I just listen for an hour before I get here and I'd have material. But, um, you guys were saying uh, about the journalists, about how the government says, uh, you know, Donald Trump, all oh, journalists are the enemy of the people and blah, 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 and this absolute concept of things. Yet, 10 minutes later in a different conversation, you said uh, all politicians uh, only care about you when you go to the polls. Yeah. And I think it is. And, and, and media people only care about you if you give them ratings. Right. And five minutes later, it was um, <laughs> all fans don't know shit. So we've now, we've now taken down. I didn't say that. Mabali no. said that. I don't know. It was, it was Mabali. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like how He's you threw under the bus here. <laughs> no, because uh, fans, you see, again, we started this morning with talking about X-Men. For yeah. example, now fans, serious fans of the X Men, are going to know everything, and they're going to have a hundred theories. Uh, but I would rather believe the fans than believe someone on CNN, for example. Right, but my problem is this kind of idea that we we talk in absolutes the whole time. Mm. That we've now said that the politicians we can't be trusted, the journalists can't, can't be trusted, trust, and yeah. the people can't be trusted. So then nobody can be trusted. And I think the, as soon as we understand that there's a there's a kind of a there's a bandwidth here, and there's actually some politicians that. Uh, probably can't be trusted. And there's actually some politicians I think do give a shit. The same thing is there's some journalists that are complete wankers and there's some that are absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, when we throw them all into this, this one bucket, I think, uh, we get this point of view that makes us distrust all media or makes us distrust, uh, uh, all politicians. And I think that's largely unhelpful. But it's also what we do because we, we try to lump everybody into categories. It makes things easier for us. It doesn't mean it's true. For sure. It doesn't mean it's right. That's why people don't like to go to the trouble of, in a granular sense, appraising the individual. 
they'd much rather say, well, all Scottish creatives behave yeah. in a certain way. All big-headed sports fanatics behave in a different way. Okay, well, now I'm taking offense because you used the term creative and you looked at me. I, there is no word I hate more than the world, word Hazel. What do you do? I'm a creative. Okay. I, That's uh, not even a thing. <laughs> All right. It's not a noun. The point is I was generalizing. Yeah, okay, that, cool. That no, is where we, that's what, exactly. you, that's what you're Just like I'm is. about to generalize by saying, right. calling people creatives, like advertising people are all fuckheads. Okay. So I understand no, that that's, are, uh, that's a generalization uh, <laughs> and I know that I'm wrong, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so I guess this actually speaks to the, the topic that I want to talk about today. And that's about, um, have you ever heard that quote that says, uh, we need to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Now, what I've realized is that when people say that, what did the actual problem isn't that they have to think outside the box is that they don't have enough boxes, right? Is they don't have enough curiosity vacuums and things they're looking for. And I think the people like us who can have conversations about normal, th- uh, lots and lots and lots of things, it's not that we're smarter, it's that we're more curious, is that we have more curiosity boxes that need to be filled, right? So we're constantly looking for different things to say like, oh shit, I wish I knew more about that. I wish I knew more about that. And it's weird because to some degree, it goes against that whole philosophy of, uh, you know, the jack of all trades versus master of none. Um, while it is amazing trying to achieve mastery, we certainly do need to be a jack of all trades. I think they, they say jack of all trades like it's a bad thing. And, and I believe that there's a problem that people have too narrow an opinion set. They read the articles that are appealing to them. They watch the TED Talks that appeal to them. And in fact, I've often said... Um, I believe that everybody in the world should go to a conference like TED. And I've been to five of the main TEDs. I was actually the first South African to speak on the main stage of TED. And um, uh, one thing that I realized is you're sitting in a room and there's 70 talks over the course of a week and you can't escape. And some of them are so crap and you're thinking, oh, no, this is terrible. I want to leave, but I can't. And then there's others and you look at the program and you think, I never want to see this. I do not want uh, to watch this guy. But then you watch them, and in 18 minutes, you start thinking, wait a minute, sure, I had no idea about this. And you always leave TED or any of these big conferences, you always leave talking about the ones that you didn't walk in to see. Mm. You always walk out of the event thinking, geez, that guy, what's his name, was unbelievable. He started speaking about a new topic that you've now added a curiosity box for. And I guess that's actually the beauty of the TED Talk format is that it's an 18 minutes, not enough it's only enough to whet your appetite. It's not enough to give you everything you need to know. So from there, you have to explore further. And my my wish uh, for smart listeners out there would be that somebody can create for me a daily TED, ram- TED Talk randomizer. So instead of me waiting to see the talks that exist, um, you know, just because somebody recommended I watch this or things like that, I want somebody to turn around and say every single day I have X amount of time allocated and this randomizer is going to create a talk that I have to watch. I don't get a choice. That's what I've got to be because those are what open the curiosity boxes. And I think the key is to pick up a magazine of a topic you're not interested in next time you're on the plane. Uh, don't just get more knowledge about your one subset. Mm. Try and find a new topic. Business guys, I sit next to business guys every day and they're always reading business day you're not going to learn anything new from business day business day is by its very very design a history lesson it's telling you what has happened and while i understand that's important there's a hundred people in your ecosystem that will tell you that it's not to say don't ever read the business day but if you want to, i mean why are business guys not sitting there reading popular mechanics why are they not trying to understand what science is about to be created in a few years time that will bring something new 
because they're not curious enough because they they they're they're on this pursuit of mastery in one box so they do need to think outside the box but only because they're limited by it i think what they really need to do is have many many more boxes and don't you think that in some of those subjects which you know nothing about which are so arcane so bizarre so small in the world of like things that people spend their time doing that sometimes those are the most fascinating Absolutely. Well, they're always the most fascinating to you because they're the ones that you have no predefined opinion on yet. Mm -hmm. So when you start reading about something new, it's a beautiful thing. It's like a gift because all of a sudden, every single little thing, even something that is completely um, uh, uh, well-known to an expert, to you is exciting and new and wow. Uh, there's a new series of books I saw while well, I keep on trying to go into exclusive books and turning my book sideways. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been walking to a lot of bookshops lately <laughs> because they've got it spine out. I'm like, damn, man, if you see my book, I don't expect you to buy it. Just A, ask for it and B, turn it sideways. <laughs> so, so it's basic. <laughs> the job is to, to hack putting it in the, in the best center right. areas. <laughs> anyway, the, the, when I do Set that. Set of books that you saw? Ah, yeah. So, so, so when I was there, I saw this set of books and it's about, um, concepts with illust- uh, illustrated concepts around different things. So I bought the, um, um, illustrated quantum physics guide. Mm. I, and I realized quantum physics with pictures, still, still quantum physics. It's still Have you so learned about the, the up and down and, and, uh, strange and charm and top and bottom corks yet? Uh, not enough. I've not got that far yet. I'm about a third of the way in. You know, I've never felt so stupid reading a book in my life. Like I keep on turning the page and I read all the words, every single word. And like every now and then it's like, blah, 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 Einstein, blah, 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 quark, blah, blah, blah. But it's like only a few words I actually even understand. This book is not a, it's not like uh, quantum physics for dummies. It's quantum physics with pictures. However, it's an entire series of books that are, they seem to be extremely accessible about stoicism, stoicism or, uh, yeah, stoicism, is, yeah. um, about, um, Carl Jung about great thinkers. And I thought, sure, this is a series of books I'd like to work through because instead of me choosing a book that's something of interest to me, yeah. I'm going to just pick a topic and just read through it. And, and because they're providing you with a, the illustrated guide to X, Y, and Z, yeah. there are going to be a variety of things in there that you can Yeah, there's like 15 of them. And they're on, like, I was in the, the Nickel Way exclusive books and they were all there and they look amazing. The production value is great. But the idea, I guess my challenge to everybody is to, to, to pick the next book you read or the next thing you listen to or the next podcast you download or the next anything is to be something that you know nothing about. But you want to open a curiosity pocket, like a curiosity box, because once you have it, it's a beautiful thing. Once you have it, then as soon as you, then you're going to get on your motorbike or in your car and you're going to start thinking about it and you're going to want more. And to me, that's the key thing. The key difference between the thinkers uh, and the non-thinkers is that they're constantly curious about more things. You know, I think that that's, um, that's probably one of the most exciting things you've brought in here. And you've, you've said a lot of interesting things in the time that we've been doing this thing. But that I love because to me, that's the mark of being smart. Yeah. Is wanting to know more about things you know nothing about. Yeah. Not being able to tell other people how much you know. Yeah. That's not interesting. Smart is a, a, is a byproduct of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Be curious. I, I think, you know what, and um, for example, one of the things about you that I've, I've always found very, very strange is that <laughs> you are, you're interested in all of this stuff, but you also play these games. And they are, I don't know a lot of people who play board games. 
No, I mean, it's been, I've actually started writing about them for stuff, funnily enough. But, yeah. you know, it's amazing. I remember I was having a discussion ages ago about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. And um, uh, you were talking about it again this morning. And it, it, almost everything I know about the Cuban Missile Crisis comes from playing 13 Days. It's, an, it's a simulation. Uh, but the book comes with every single card has a... A moment, an event in history. A real life scenario. And then the book, the, the game comes with a book that explains to you all the historic things. So I learned all about the detail and timing of the Cuban history crisis by trying to replay it in my favor. And That's so I've, beautiful. I've played the Cuban Missile Crisis over and over and over again, trying to see what would I have done differently to Kennedy or Khrushchev at different times to try to get better results. It was interesting. I heard a podcast about this the other day and they said that the one part of, of that whole story that people don't really write about is how tired and exhausted the people were because they didn't have the internet and they, the, the communication that they, there wasn't a red phone. Like Kennedy couldn't pick up the phone and talk to Khrushchev. There were two things he could have done. He could have gone via the Russian ambassador in Washington, which means sitting with the Russian ambassador, the Russian ambassador phones up Khrushchev. They talk. And remember there were delays. They, they were de- dealing with cables, not, uh, you know, being able to Skype each other in real time. And then if they didn't do that, the only other alternative was to go on television yeah, in front of the whole world and say X, Y, and Z. So, you know, in those two guys, in, funny enough, 13 days, the uh, Trump, at the end, the tiebreaker card, whoever has the most power on any given round is a person who has the personal letter card. And the reason that was so significant is it got to a point where uh, uh, Kennedy realized he could no longer trust because his military industrial complex they actually wanted, wanted bad stuff yeah. to happen, right? right. And, and Khrushchev also had these other things. So when the U-plane got shot down, they should have shot. But it was like, no, and why didn't he? Because Khrushchev um, sent Kennedy a personal letter saying, mm-hmm. hey, man, that wasn't me. That, was a, that wasn't an act of war. That was an mistake. idiot, a, a yeah. mistake. Sorry. And then what happened is Kennedy, uh, when, they, when they did the overfly, when, uh, they then were told, given shit. When, oh, sorry, when their ships didn't back down, mm-hmm. Kennedy sent a letter as well, said, hey, man, dude, this is not an act of war. So these two guys were sending personal letters to each other via, um, like, a, I think the, the Russian embassy. Yeah, the Russian embassy and Bobby Kennedy. Yes. And, um, in fact, yeah, Bobby Kennedy straight to the Russian embassy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what these guys did. Now, again, by, by opening myself up to playing a game with a theme, Mm-hmm. It made me want to learn more and more and more about this fascinating. I ended up watching the movie Thirteen Days and and going to and learning more and more and more about the the Cuban Missile Crisis. I got something fun for you quickly. This is some people say it's exactly what happened. Other people say it's not. But yep. um, Truman was president of the United States at the time the Japanese surrendered, right? Nineteen forty-five. So General Douglas MacArthur was the he was present in Tokyo. He went to collect. The, 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 the declaration, yeah, the declaration where they called oh, the end of the world yeah, yeah. war. All right. Surrender. Correct. So the first telegram is from MacArthur to President Truman. Goes like this. Sent at eight o'clock on September the 1st, 1945. Tomorrow we meet with those yellow bellied bastards and sign the surrender documents. Any last minute instructions? Question mark. The reply is sent at 1300 hours, September the 1st, from President Harry Truman to General General MacArthur. Congratulations. Job well done. But you must tone down your obvious dislike of the Japanese when discussing the terms of surrender with the press, because some of your remarks are fundamentally not politically correct. (laughs) Tokyo, 
16 hours 30 to September the 1st, 1945, to Harry Truman from General MacArthur and uh, Commander Nimitz. Wilco, sir, in other words, will do, but both Chester and I are somewhat confused. Exactly what does the term politically correct mean? So then the final response is Washington, D.C., September the 1st, 21 hours 20, to General MacArthur and Chester Nimitz from Harry Truman. Political correctness is a doctrine recently fostered by a delusional, illogical minority and promoted by a sick mainstream media, which holds forth the proposition that it is entirely possible to pick up a piece of shit by the clean end. (laughs) (laughs) So... Up up until that point, I love the idea of the origin story, I, I, and I love picking up this shit by the clean end. Well, okay. there we go. You know whether it was true or not. Those are the kinds of things that Truman might have said. Those are, I always hate like things like stories like that. I never want to research too far. No, I know because you, there's some things you just want to hold as true. Yeah. I want to believe that that's what really happened. Right. And again, highly highly possible. I love it. Given the time. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Rich. Have yourselves a wonderful week. uh, We'll see you in a couple of days. Rad, rad, rad. Cool. Rich Mulholland and the Reality Check. Cliffcentral.com.